the Lord laid this in my heart a couple of weeks ago. It's been burning in my heart. So hang tight, fasten your seatbelts. I want to deal with you about how you treat your parents. Because some of you in this room don't treat your parents right. I remember years ago, before uh, Oliver Green died in his early 60s, and before he died, he said, I will not live a full life. He said, I'm going to die before my time. He said, because I uh, disrespected and dishonored my parents. And Oliver Green did. His brother, Jack Green, lived into his 90s. So, uh, it's very interesting. And I've seen that too. I think of George Mensick. Great man of God. We talk about him all the time. He died young. In his 60s. And he would have, as I remember his testimony, treated his parents very disrespectfully as well. Was in and out of reformatories. But some of you come from good homes, but you don't treat your parents like, uh, like you need to. Sometimes you're, you obviously are let, you, you, it's like this. If your parents let you get away with it, they'll answer the Lord for that, but you will answer the Lord for getting away with it. You're old enough now, you realize, you know, mom and dad may not get on me, but I'm gonna, I need to learn on this thing. And I'm going I'm to stop rolling my eyes. I'm going to stop talking back. I'm going to stop huffing. I'm going to stop sighing. And I'm going to stop giving a hard time. Because it's right. Now, I'm going to give you God's three death sentences for dishonoring your parents. Now, obviously, I understand hermeneutically that the Old Testament is the Old Testament. We don't live in a theocracy. And I'm not preaching that we should re-enter a theocracy. There will never be another theocracy until Jesus sets up the millennial reign. Okay, so we all know that. But it doesn't mean that a theocracy can't at least open the heart of God and see how God views things. And I think we can all say this. When God calls for a death sentence for something, it's a big deal. And there's far more death sentences in the Old Testament than there are, obviously, in our culture. I think in our culture, there's just two death sentences. Anybody know what they are? Go ahead, just fire me out. Answer. Murder and? Last one happened 1963, I think it was. Treason. Treason. Yeah, the Rosenbergs were executed for treason. They sold nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union. We're still reeling under that betrayal. But, um, but in the, in the uh, Old Testament, Theocracy, there were several death sentences. And I don't know about you, when God, all sin we should avoid, but a death sentence seems to me God's saying, this is a big deal. <laughs> now, one of the reasons I bring this up, because if you do something that would have brought you a death sentence in the Old Testament, I think when you repent, you need to say, God, in the Old Testament, I've been executed for this. Would you forgive me? You say, why? Because the word confess means to agree with, say the same thing about. And I will tell you, friends, uh, in order to agree with God, you say, God, in the Old Testament, I've been executed for this. I've been thinking it's not a big deal. God, it's a big deal. I've been wrong. You see what that is? That's confession. That's agreeing with God, saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's what confession is. So, the reason I'm preaching this message is to resensitize you. Now, I realize you've grown up in a generation that downplays disrespect and almost expects it. It's kind of like, well, everybody goes through the stage. Let me just tell you, you don't have to go that, through that stage, and your kids don't either have to go through it. And don't fall into that trap. And if you think, well, I'm just going through a stage, well, get out of it. Some of you are still going through the stage. And you need to wake up, smell the coffee, and you need to go home and repent. Because it's a death sentence deal. Stop minimizing it. Well, obviously, media has, has continued to push the narrative that, you know, obviously, people, kids make fun of their parents, tease their I mean, uh, trash their parents, etc. And uh, that is, uh, obviously, many times the man is perceived as weak. It's somebody said, I read a little somewhere, I just saw it, I think I uh, uh, just came across it today. It said, uh, if you want to be a masculine male, he said, it's really easy today because there's very little competition. <laughs> 
I thought to myself, well, that's, that's good, yeah. Hollywood always portrays the dad as some spiny, spineless little, you know, mealy-mouthed guy. That's how Hollywood portrays the guy. Listen, that's not biblical. So, um, um, 1989, Time Magazine came up. Well, let me just say this. When I was growing up, I loved animation, Hanna-Barbera, and I've always been fascinated by cartoons. I used to draw cartoons when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. I'm not very good at it, but I, I, I really got intrigued by that. So, I followed animation. I find animation now, of course, you're into computer graphics and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's not that I follow it closely, but I've got a friend who's an animator and has done some stuff his, himself. And uh, he knows the whole animation, so whenever I'm around him, we talk animation. But, um, and he's a Christian, so he has the right perspective on it. But uh, in the 1980s, something happened in animation history that has never happened up to that point. There was a cartoon made for adults. That was the first time it ever happened. And unfortunately, the cartoon's still with us today. That was the 1980s. In 1989, Time Magazine wrote an article on that particular cartoon called The Simpsons. And the article's name was, I'm just going to give you what Time Magazine called it, TV Family from Hell. I say this as clear as I know how, because we get influenced by this, especially if you're not careful in your, your um, media choices. You, you get influenced by some of this media narrative out there. But uh, if Bart Simpson was a real person and lived in Old Testament Israel, he would have been under a pile of rocks before the first episode was over. See, it's not funny. God would have executed him. But we get influenced by that kind of stuff. Well, it's not that big a deal. Everybody does it, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to walk real quickly through three, three death sentences, and I'm going to just urge you to, uh, to open your heart, and if there's something you need to get right with your parents, let me urge you to get it right. But not just get it right, change through the power of God. So let's look at the first one. We're in uh, Exodus 21. Let's look at verse number 15. It says, And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. The word smite, I'm going to use Strong's Concordance, which is your basic definition. Strong Concordance, here it is, to strike uh, lightly or severely, literally or figuratively. So this particular word smite is any kind of strike, but it's not. It could be a light strike. It could be a push. Now, I hope nobody in this room has ever done it, but if you have ever laid a physical hand on your parents to show displeasure in the Old Testament, you'd have been executed. No questions asked. You ever pushed them, shoved them, just showed your, even a light, a light, lightly it's talking about here. But I would assume most of you have never literally done something with your body to show your displeasure by making contact with your parents. I would assume none of you have ever done that. I have known some. Now, again, I hate to bring this out, in the culture in which you live, it has to be. Obviously, if somebody's being assaulted by a parent and you're protecting them, I understand there are extreme situations. But I'm not talking about the extreme situations. Do you understand that? I'm not talking about where parents are, are doing criminal things with their kids and that needs to be dealt. I'm not talking about that. Okay, you understand that. So let's get that off the table because whenever you preach on this, somebody always brings up the worst example, you know. You know, like this dad who's assaulting the mother and the son steps in, defends his mother. Okay, that thing is so far gone, it's ridiculous. But uh, I'm not and that's not what I believe the Bible's talking about here. It's obviously uh, addressing non-criminal situations here. Okay, so let's go back to that. So, uh, so obviously, but it's also figurative. So have you ever said something or done something that was meant to hurt your parents? Because if you had, you'd have been executed. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever clammed up and given them the silent treatment? If you have, you need to get right with your parents. You know why people clam up? Because they want to hurt their parents. 
most of the time. You ever said anything? I wish you weren't my parents. Or worse, some of you have. We never cleared it up. I'm telling you, that verse covers this. You'd have been on a pile of rocks back then. You, you, God is telling you you should not do anything, literally or figuratively, to strike out at your parents. And, and obviously a strike is an intent to hurt. You ever done or said anything to hurt your parents? Get back at them? You say, well, you, if you know what my parents are doing. Again, and we're not talking about criminal activity. It's like this, friends. I will say, I know parents are perfect. I get that. But I will tell you this. Disrespect and dishonoring is never the answer. It's never the answer. Now let's go to the next one. Verse 17. It says, And he that curseth his father or his mother uh, shall surely be put to death. The word curse there has the idea to be light or to be slight. This is the idea. The word curse is the exact opposite of the word honor. Now the word honor in the Old Testament is the word kabod. Now we know that curse is the opposite because of Jesus. In Mark 7.10 and Matthew 15.4, Jesus said this, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth his father and mother, let him die the death. It is Jesus that gives the opposites. Now let me just say, in between curse and honor, there is no, there's not a no man's land. Everyone in this room either honors your parents or you curse them. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, the word curse, as I mentioned, we think of the word curse as cuss out or to utter some kind of curse. But the concept of curse in the Hebrew language is much more defined and refined than English. You can learn a lot about a culture by its vocabulary. Did you know that? Just talk to Ms. Bernstein. I'm sure she can help you with that. You can learn a lot about a culture by their vocabulary. When, it's, when a culture has no word for snow, that tells you something about their culture. Right? When, a word, when there is a culture that has one word for curse and another culture has five words for curse, that tells you a little bit about that culture. Hebrews have five Hebrew words that is translated our one English word curse. That's fascinating, isn't it? They were very nuanced in their understanding of curse. But this particular word curse literally means to be light or to be slight. Do you know what kabod, honor, means? To treat weightily. Now, this is interesting. In English, we use this euphemism. Don't treat them lightly. We use that. But we don't use this, hey man, treat your parents weightily. <laughs> now that may be literal for some of you. No, I'm just decent. But anyway, I just, don't treat your parents weightily. Now, what does that mean? It's like this. I don't want you to miss this. Um, if a heavyweight boxer walked in this room, let's just imagine Mike Tyson walked in this room. Now, Mike Tyson was in the news again, and Mike Tyson, every time he's in the news, it makes my respect for him goes down. Not that there's any that I have, okay? It's like he's in the negative now, okay? It's Mike Tyson. But if Mike Tyson, heavyweight boxer, walked in this room, I understand he's still pretty cut. You know what I'm talking about? He's built. If Mike Tyson walked in this room, I would have very little respect for Mike Tyson as a person. But I can guarantee you one thing. I'm not dumb. I treat him like he's a heavyweight. You say, preacher, what does that mean? With great respect. I wouldn't go up to Mike, put my finger in his chest. Okay, Mike, you and me outside, Mike. You and me, let's settle it outside. Hey, ear biter. You know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. You know why? Because Mike can leave a lasting impression on your life. Did you know that? He can leave four knuckles right across here, and the imprint will be there for the rest of your life, okay? And I'm telling you what, I'm treating Mike with great respect. It's not that I respect everything Mike does, but I do respect one thing about Mike Tyson. He's heavyweight. That I do. I respect that ability and 
position, if you can call it that. Well, that's the issue with parenting. Your parents aren't going to be perfect. I hope that more and more you, you, you see their great points and their good points and are grateful for those and don't focus on the negative. But I will tell you, friends, you may be frustrated with some things in your parents, but here's what you always do. Treat them like they're Mike Tyson. Treat them like they're heavyweight. Because some of you don't. If some of you treated Mike Tyson like you treat your parents, you'd be six feet under the ground. You'd be dead. Anybody see why Mike Tyson beat the guy up on the plane? You know, I mean, just like some guy started mouthing off to Mike Tyson. I said, that's stupid. Why would you mouth off to Mike Tyson? The guy, does, guy doesn't have any restraint anyway. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but the point is, listen, some of you treated your parents that way. Man, you'd be in trouble if it was, you treat Mike that way. See, tr- the Bible says honor treats them like respect, but treating them lightly is... Uh, now, I-, I want you to understand, you can curse your parents, the Bible says, with your eye. The eye that mocketh at his father and despises... Oh, let me, we'll get the exact... Uh, let's go there. Proverbs 30, 30, 30 verse 17. I want to get the exact wording because it's been a while since I've looked at that verse. Proverbs 30, verse 17. Ah, there it is. The eye that mocketh at his father, we had it right, and despiseth to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. Wow. That is really strong language. Now, what's God talking about there? The eye that mocks at his father. Have you ever been sitting around with your friends, maybe back at your home church? Your dad walks into the circle, and you kind of roll your eyes at your friends like, yeah, my dad, he's out of it. See, he's got pleats in his pants. Isn't he out of it? You ever done that? You've mocked your father. Or how about this one? Despised to obey your mother? Uh, Could you clean your room? Oh, mom. With your eye, what did you do? You despised to obey her. With your eye. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You roll your eyes. You do that upward look. You let a little sighing. And God says, the ravens of the valley are going to pick it out. The young eagle is going to meet it. You say, preacher, what in the world is that talking about? You've got to understand Hebrew. You've got to understand Hebrew culture. What happened in Hebrew culture when somebody died out in the field? And the point was, there's no way they're going to let the beasts of the field and the birds of prey eat them. You, you know why? Because they so respected that. It was such a disrespectful thing. Remember Rizpah when five of her sons were hung up before the Lord? What did Rizpah do? She stayed out there and drove away the birds of prey and she drove away the beasts of field. Why? Because it was unthinkable to this Jewish mother that her sons would be eaten by the beasts of prey or by the birds of prey. Now, you understand Jewish culture, you'll get this. So, what happens when a body dies in the fields and the birds of prey descend on it? The very first thing, I know this is gross, but you're college students, you can handle it. The very thing, the bird of prey, the first thing they're going to do is grab the eye. So, the inference here is untimely death. That's the inference. So, what God is simply saying to you, hey, listen, you keep this up, you're going to have untimely death. Now, I know this is strong, but I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to give it to you straight because some of you bought into way too much American culture. So, go to Proverbs 2020. Just back up a little bit. 2020. It's kind of interesting here because this verse of Scripture will help us well as well. Here it is. It's the same idea. Whoso curseth his father or mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Now, I don't understand all of that, but it obviously has nuances again of untimely death. And obviously the word curse there is that idea, to be light or to be slight. Treating your parents in a disrespectful manner. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 21 look at the last one. Deuteronomy 21, we'll look at the last one. Deuteronomy 21, we're going to read verses 18 and following. Okay, let's go down. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey his father or the voice of his mother... 
And when they have, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now this is what I would call death. First one was death for striking. The second's death for cursing or treating lightly. The third one, or death for disrespect. This is death for what I would call durative disobedience. Obviously, if you got the death sentence for disobeying your parents, we'd all be gone. It's talking about where you're corrected, but you go back to it. And then you're corrected, and you go back to it. And you keep sneaking it. That's what it's talking about. The word gluttonous, by the way, is not just talking about overeating. The literal idea of the verb, as I understand it, is it shakes like a, like a leaf. But the, the idea of it is to be loose morally. Gluttony, of course, is an illustration of that in the, uh, that realm. But to be loose morally, it's somebody, it's, it'd be a guy looking at pornography. He gets caught, he goes back. He gets caught, he goes back. He gets caught, he goes back. In the Old Testament, they'd have been executed. <coughs> I'm just telling you, any of you, your parents, you got stuff you're still doing behind your parents' back? You got a problem with, not with your parents, but with God. You need to come clean, get it all out on the table, and say, I'm not hiding anything. Because, uh, you know, here's the danger of getting caught. I've seen the difference. When somebody gets caught, here's what they do. They only reveal enough to get through the situation. Do you know what happens when somebody confesses? If they're really going to confess, they get the whole junk out there. I don't care what it takes. I'm done with all of it. I have never seen full, complete recovery for a person who gets caught and just plays the game. The guys that get full recovery are the guys who come painfully honest. and There's the ones that get free. I mean, they're not holding anything back. Everything. It's, I've had some tell me it took me two or three things to remember, days, excuse me, to remember everything. But every soon come to mind, oh, mom and dad, oh, by the way, this happened. Oh, mom and dad, and they just got it all out there. So that's the idea. Death for dirt of disobedience. So that's the third death sentence. When you keep hiding stuff. If you're still hiding stuff and you're in Baptist college ministry, I'm telling you, friends, it's not because of the absence of preaching. You've got a problem. You've got a hard heart. You've got issues. And you need, I hope you'll make a beeline to your parents and say, it's all coming out. I don't care what it takes. I want it all on the, I, I don't want any secrets. I'm going to tell you, by the way, the key to marriage. You know what it is? No secrets. No secrets. It's to enter marriage with no secrets. You guys think you can hide some of the junk you've been doing and then get married? Here's your start. You are starting in trouble. You better learn right now, man, I'm going to be totally clean. I'm entering marriage with everything on the table and dealt with. And you can have a great marriage. But you can't, you, if you've learned to be a double-faced with your parents, you'll probably do that with your spouse. And you just need to realize, now's the time to learn to face the, face the music and deal with everything. Now, I remember years ago, conclude this way, I remember years ago, I'd just been called to preach, and my dad came to me and said, Jim, I, he said, I'm going to take you with me on some of my pastoral visits. Now, I think my dad thought I was a pastor. I probably thought I was a pastor. I mean, I don't have an evangelist personality. I'm really mild. I really am. I am just, I'm the, I, I would, if I have a default, it would be passive. I know that's hard for you to believe. I'm talking about my human default, okay? I just like whatever. And uh, I, uh, that's my personality. 
And uh, so I probably thought it was a pa- not that pastors are passive, but you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're, if the pastor had addressed the situation this morning that I addressed, it would have been far more diplomatic and helpful than mine was. But anyway, so I understand that. Okay, you understand. So I, I thought I, I was uh, a pastor. And, uh, but uh, so my dad said, I'm going to take you with me and teach you how to do hospital visitation. I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm 16. I'm thinking, oh, great. Not like, great, great, like, oh, this is terrible, okay. And so my dad says, okay, Jim, let's go uh, one day. And I hop in, and he's trying to brief me on the situation. I get there. He said, no, Jim, don't do anything. Just stand there, and I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. And I came in, we came into like a really serious medical situation. There was a lady, and there was a mother. Husband, the husband was there. The kids were there. The mother was clearly not going to make it. Bad stroke or something. Had tubes everywhere. And I remember my dad didn't even know who they were. And finally, he got enough information. They hardly ever came to church. He figured out who they were. He prayed with them. We walked out the door. I'll never forget. My dad leaned over to me. He said, Jim, you watch. I will preach that funeral. It was only maybe a week or two later. My dad said, Jim, you remember that situation? He said, well, I'm going to preach the funeral. I want you to come with me. I want you to read scripture at the funeral. I'm going, oh, great. How did I get in on this, you know? And so I went. And I remember on the way there, my dad's coaching me. Now, my dad had a way all his life he was coaching me. I had no clue he was. But, uh, so I'm in, the, I'm in the, the car scared to death, and my dad said, now, Jim, I said, it probably won't happen. It never really happens. But every once in a while, he said, they lose it when they close the casket. He said, now, if they lose it, just be calm. I'll take care of everything. I'm thinking, no problem, Dad. I'll let you take care of it. Okay. So we do the funeral, and it comes time to close the casket. Man, I'm telling you, pandemonium broke out. The daughter jumped in the casket, grabbed the corpse. There was weeping. There was wailing. And my dad barely was able to get the thing. I, I'm not, no pun intended, but he was barely able to get the lid on the thing. Okay, no pun intended there. But uh, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. <laughs> okay, but, uh, but uh, finally everything calms back down. And you know later on, do you know why that happens? Regret. If the normal way of life goes, every one of you in this room, I will tell you this, you will bury your parents. I've already done it. You will bury your parents. I know you're not thinking about it right now, but there's only two ways to bury your parents, with regret or with no regret. There's only two ways to do it. And I can honestly say it was hard to say goodbye to my parents, but I will tell you, friends, I remember getting the phone call, 1989, September. Your mom's with the Lord. It wasn't a shock, but it was a shock. She'd battled cancer for nine years. It didn't look good. I remember everything else was just a blur. Finally, I remember getting up there, preparing for the funeral. and I remember walking by that casket for the last time. In fact, Mrs. Gilmore was right next to me, as I remember. and Going by that casket for the last time, I can honestly say that. Although my heart was breaking, there were no regrets. No regrets. Nothing that I hadn't already gotten right if I needed to. And I mean, our relationship was tight for years. I would hug my mom as a senior in high school in front of my whole class. It didn't bother me. I, I loved that woman. I was not ashamed of her. And my parents were not cool. I'm just telling you right now, they were not cool. But I will tell you, they were godly. I'd rather have godly parents than cool parents. I, uh, I remember in 1997, Pastor hitting up his horn and on a Sunday morning I was parked outside his church and my dad had been preaching a missions conference there. I'd stopped in to see him on Saturday night and as soon as I heard that horn I knew exactly what it was. I opened the door and the pastor said, Brother Jim, he said, your dad's gone. He's in heaven. 
remember jumping in his car, grabbing up Stephanie, and she's just a little thing, jumping in the car. Driving over to the house, going down to the little apartment downstairs. My father was, had fallen during the night. His heart had stopped, and before he hit the ground, he was in heaven. And uh, again, everything's a blur. Finally got up here to Falls Baptist Church. Marquette Manor's Auditorium was being renovated, so they had the funeral here. And I remember walking by that casket for the last time, looking at my dad's earthly tabernacle. And I can honestly say no regrets. No regrets. No regrets.